Good morning. You are tuned to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with my sidekick, Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Mal. How's it going? Good. How's your side kicking? Well, my side kicking is, is pretty good. It's been a good weekend. Uh, have you been cooking and coping? Or have I you have, been kind of laying low? No, I have been uh, cooking. Uh, I've done a lot of coping. And, you know, as usual for me, I had some successes and failures in the, in the cooking world this week. But the point is, I'm moving forward. I'm learning. I'm trying. So I'm going to take uh, uh, a cue from you and share one of my, it's not a failure, but it was a disappointment. Uh, all my life, uh, I've really enjoyed okra and tomatoes and uh, stewed. I mean, I like them a lot of oh, ways, yeah. but I, uh, I grew up, my grandparents, my mom, everybody cooked okra and tomatoes, but I'd never made it until uh, this past week. So David Patterson, my great friend who has a tremendous garden out in Madison County, brought me five or six sacks of of uh, great vegetables. And in those sacks, uh, there was some uh, okra and tomatoes. And so I set out to do my first variety of stewed. And I, so I, I, I put the okra on first with some onions and garlic and stewed them down. And then I added the tomatoes and they, uh, they were good. But my point was I was trying to keep my okra intact. I didn't want them to come apart like traditionally uh, I've been uh, served over my lifetime. So so I didn't quite get enough seasoning in there is my point. Uh, so I went back and asked David how he cooked his. And uh, he told me I needed to add some Creole seasoning. And his favorite was Paul Prudhomme's and that I had not done that. So anyway, um, they were okay, but they weren't great. How about you? Well, I'm glad you're talking about okra because my great failure or disappointment of the weekend involved okra too. Uh, it was late on Saturday night. We had been out fishing till dark, and I had a really good meal. I was uh, had you know some creamed corn, some crowder peas, some halibut, and you know I just got a craving flung on me for fried okra. <laughs> so I don't know what I was thinking, or maybe I wasn't thinking. Maybe I had like oysters or catfish in mind, but I soaked the okra in buttermilk before trying to roll it mm. in flour and it was just big globs of okra uh. so the first pan I kind of separated and and you know, threw the <laughs> okra in there but then there was this just huge blob of okra sitting in cornmeal so I came up with okra cakes and okra fritters <laughs> and I'm going I'm going to post these today but they were <laughs> okra, okra patties. So yeah, you know, okra blobs. Okra blobs, but you have to make lemonade out of lemons, right? But here's the question: How did they taste? They tasted who, really, really good. Who cares how they look? How did they taste? Yeah, they tasted good. But what was I thinking? Putting them put in buttermilk. Mm. Uh, the other good thing that I made for for John. Uh, this weekend was a fried green tomato BLT. Ah. And, you know, we're still just crazy about tomatoes and hoping it lasts for a few weeks longer. But the best fried green tomato BLT I've ever had is from Taylor Bowen Ricketts up in Greenwood. Um, 
she had Delta B, uh, Bistro, yeah. and now it's Fan and Johnny's. But she made a mean fried green tomato BLT. So I tried to to channel my inner Taylor mm. and come up with something good. Well, she's fantastic. Uh, I think she's one of the you know one of the greater chefs, one of the most successful and really uh, underappreciated, I think, chefs in Mississippi. I think she's a rock star. And I love her cooking. It's always experimental, but it's based in good Southern tradition. Yes. And I know that you worked with her a lot when you were at the Viking Cooking School. Oh, yeah. And it, in fact, this morning I was reading on our Facebook page, Cooking and Coping, and somebody was commenting on food by Taylor Bowen Ricketts. And some woman put on there, she said, if, if I have my last meal on death row, I want it to be cooked by Taylor Bowen Ricketts. <laughs> well, she she can't go wrong there. I know, I mean, and Taylor chimed in and said, "Really, you don't have to do that. I'll I'll come. I'll come cook for you." Don't don't get all carried away here. I'll be happy to cook you a meal. Well, um, have you checked in on cooking and coping in the oh yeah days? Every day, every day. I don't always weigh in, but I check on it every day. Yeah, well, there's been there've been some really fun things going on, and for listeners who don't know, this is a Facebook page. Malcolm and I started called Cooking and Coping, uh, Gathering Around the Virtual Table. Uh, and our friend Leanne Galt uh, helped us do that. But it has about 2,400 members now. And it is just an entertainment in itself. But there seems to be a theme that developed over the weekend. And people were posting album covers with their food. Uh huh. Music uh, and food. There you go. Yeah. So you had uh, like Alan Jackson for one person, Van Morrison. Um, Paul Simon went with somebody's French toast yesterday morning. And then uh, Taj Mahal and a blues burger. Oh, that that was kind of fun. Well, our cooking and coping crowd are very creative, and uh, they they are always coming up with fantastic recipes, great photographs, and good ideas. And that's the main thing that we want to communicate here is, you know, we're not professional chefs. We just love eating, and we love great ideas. And if you have a great idea, you want to share it with our listenership, feel free to call us at one 672 or you can shoot us an email and we will read it and respond. You can shoot it to food at mpbonline.org. Now, here's a few uh, notes uh, and news from around the country. The James Beard Foundation, which honors outstanding American chefs, restaurants, and bars, said that it would not be announcing any more winners for its awards in 2020 and 2021, citing the pandemic. Uh, that has closed so many restaurants and continues to ravage the economy and the hospitality industry. So that I thought that was an interesting tidbit. I, I think it was a good decision. Um, I still don't you know the, the winners have been chosen. And I don't know what they're going to do about that. But if I were a winner, I would want, you know, I would want to know it. But usually it's a very big ceremony. It's like the Academy Awards. Uh, Been in New York for years, now in Chicago. It's a lot of, you know, 
tuxedos and crazy chef clothes, you know, big auditorium, celebrities announcing, you know, announcing the awards. And it would be the wrong thing to do. But uh, I really would like to know who won. So perhaps they will uh, release the, the winners' names without the, the pomp and ceremony uh, that would require public gatherings. Also in culinary news here in Mississippi, uh, Governor Tate Reeves uh, has announced there will be no tailgating this year at any college football games and that uh, the stands will also be limited. I believe it's to 25 percent of the capacity. So, uh, you know, we have long touted the great tailgate tradition in Mississippi uh, associated with college football, which is another great tradition in Mississippi. But this year, uh, no tailgating, and don't you know that's going to uh, raise a ruckus uh, in some corners, Carol? I, I think it will, but also I know our fellow Mississippians, and I know that there's still going to be some barbecuing and cooking going on around football games. I think they'll be tailgating, but it might be at your own house, Mm-hmm. Or like some of these neighborhood parties, I've seen you know, where people put their lawn chairs in their driveway and talk to their neighbors across the street. But I'm sure people will find some kind of safe way to celebrate. And yeah, tailgate. and I guess, right. And I guess the band, it just says no tailgating on university property or college property, perhaps. It it doesn't mean you can't tailgate. Everybody's going right. to find, find a way to gather with their, you know, their group, their family, and their closest friends. And so I guess there's no way to really curtail tailgating, maybe just uh, on the property. And, yeah, we'll uh, just get creative. But I think yeah. that, was, that was a good call by the governor because, uh, you know, Tailgating creates a lot of closeness. Yeah, yeah, a lot of intimacy. The Food Network uh, at foodnetwork.com is offering free cooking classes right now. If you have time and you want to learn from some of the country's best chefs, you can visit foodnetwork.com for a free class. And I think that's a beautiful thing that they are offering these virtual cooking classes during the pandemic. Have you taken any cooking classes during this time? I have not. Have you? Well, I have. And also our friend Elaine Trigiani over in Italy has been offering them. And a lot of people around Mississippi have signed on to her Italian cooking classes. But uh, I've actually taken one from April McGregor, who has been on our show and (laughs) is one of our great cooking and coping contributors. And she and her son and husband were missing their Sunday family gatherings. They, they, their home was a place that people came together for brunch and just a great social occasion. And so she started doing cooking classes, you know, free on Sunday. And I took her cornbread class. She, she did Yankee cornbread versus Southern cornbread, because as you Uh know, she's from Bartom in Mississippi that's living right. in, in Philadelphia, PA. Right. So I uh, had to cover and, and, both cornbreads, but of course ours was far superior. <laughs> of course. Did did either have sugar in it? Oh, the Yankee cornbread did. Uh-huh. But here's here's a hot tip. Now this is a simple thing, but 
you know, I've always loved really crusty cornbread. Same here. Yeah, and April McGregor had a very good tip. She said, well, use a 12-inch skillet instead of 10. And I went, duh. And so Ah. if you you put, you know, if you spread it out, it, it makes about a little over an inch thick, really crusty cornbread. Yeah, I have the same philosophy about cornbread as I do about catfish. Uh, the thinner, the more uh, crust, the better I like it. So that's why I like thin fried catfish. Uh, and I like whole catfish, but I like the really small ones that are seared before they are fried. And one of my favorites that the old Cindy's Catfish House out on Lakeland Drive uh, and Brandon used to do was they would take a small whole catfish and cut one fillet off of one side, fry the fillet separate and the whole fish separate. So you would get what they called a half and half, half fillet, half bone in. And and it was very crunchy because there was only fillet meat on one side of the bone. Wow. That sounds delicious. I know um, last Monday you mentioned on your road trip that you went to the catfish motel up around Pickwick. Catfish um, hotel. 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 There's, there's your hotel <laughs> and your motel. Right. What kind of catfish do they have? How do they do it? Well, they do whatever you want. They do whole. They do filet. Uh, they do not do fin fried. That's not a Tennessee tradition. That's a South Louisiana tradition. But uh, uh, I got the whole fish uh, at the ho- Catfish Hotel, and it was delicious. And, oh, by the way, uh, not to be alarmist, but uh, uh, last, uh, I think it was last week, in the middle of the week, uh, the Catfish Hotel detected an employee who tested positive for COVID. So they have shut down uh, for for two weeks to clean and sanitize and to reset, uh, which often happens in the pandemic. If you have someone uh, who's a restaurant or service or hospitality employee who, who gets a positive uh, uh, diagnosis, they will literally shut the place down. So the Catfish Hotel is, is closed down for a week or so just to clean and disinfect. Uh, but but the fish there is fabulous, and I'm I'm glad that they are back open. And one other um, thing I want to point out about last week's show, we were talking about the the caramel cake uh, competition in New Albany, Mississippi. That's and right. there is there is Sugaree's Bakery, which has a version of the caramel cake. And I said the other one was uh, West Side Barbecue, and someone corrected me. It's West End Barbecue and Cakes in New Albany. Well, that's a very important correction. So Indeed. You stand corrected and you'll know from now. That's right. I won't make that mistake again. All right. It's time for our first break today. We'd love to hear from you this morning. So don't hesitate to join the show. This is your show. Uh, no, no chefs, uh, no cookbook writers, uh, no food historians, just Carol and I. Java back at the studio. If you want to join the conversation, share a recipe, uh, a tidbit, a comment, that's 1-877-672-7464 or shoot us an email at food at mpbonline.org. Carol and I will be right back after this short break to talk more about Southern culture. 
contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere Rich ain't grocery eggs ain't poultry and Mona Lisa was a man you're tuned Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. It's Monday morning. I'm Malcolm White, and I'm here with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. Morning, Malcolm. Um, I think what we're doing today makes me think about succotash. Ooh, it's suffering a, succotash. It's just we're doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're stirring the pot. We're cooking. That's right. We lost two titans of the Jackson restaurant scene here in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, We lost Cotton Baranich, one of the great mixologists of Mississippi lore. Grew up in Biloxi, uh, worked uh, on the coast as a kid at Barasev's and later opened his own place called Cotton's Ebb Tide before moving to Jackson to work at the old Sun and Sand restaurant and bar in downtown Jackson. And from there, he moved to George Street and then on to Hallam House to work with us and finally to the, um, what's the Edison, hotel downtown? The, the Edison, Edison Walthall Hotel. And we, we you know, we mourn his, his passing and we appreciate his impact. But just this week, we lost another giant, Irv Fellman, the owner-operator of the Old Time Deli. In Highland Village, Irv and Judy Fellman held court there and served up some of the best uh, food you could eat uh, west of New York City, delicatessen style. And this past uh, weekend, uh, Al Underwood, my buddy Al Underwood, who is a great friend and was a devotee of the old time deli, posted a beautiful little video of Irv talking about uh, the old time deli and it's on Facebook. Um, but again, we, we lost Irv Fellman from the old time deli and cotton Baranich and, uh, what a great loss to the scene here in Jackson. Malcolm, we just didn't know how lucky we were, or maybe we did to have old time delicatessen. I mean, that was an amazing place. I mean, the food was food that, that we don't get in this part of the country. I mean, you really do have to go to uh, one of the big delis in New York to get that that kind of food. Uh, and and I, I did not know that Earth had passed, but it was interesting that this week, my significant other, John Palmer, and I were talking about him because in John's early career, he was... Irv's accountant, and oh, he, did, he did the accounting for Old Time Deli, and he had some great stories about uh, Mrs. Fellman scolding him, you know, for being late. He said it happened one time, and he never was late again. <laughs> and, you know, uh, in other news, uh, there are two uh, hurricanes bearing down uh, on the Gulf Coast. Uh, Hurricane Marco and Laura. Uh, never in our lifetime have we seen two storms uh, in tandem 
uh, arrive in the Gulf of Mexico and and offer this much anxiety. So I, our thoughts go out to our restaurateurs and our citizens uh, all along uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast and the entirety of the Gulf of Mexico coast uh, as they prepare to deal with uh, both Marco and Laura. And this morning I got up early and tuned into the Weather Channel and lo and behold, there was Jim Cantori <laughs> on the banks of the Mississippi River in the French Quarter. And I, I knew that was not a good sign. That is, whenever you see Jim Cantore somewhere, you know that this is not a good thing. Right. So you had mentioned that uh, Lee Bailey from Cooking and Coping uh, had had put on some put some interesting posts on our website, or that you well, wanted to do a shout know, out to Lee. Yeah, she did. And uh, Lee, I hope you're listening out there. But Lee and her husband are the owners. They are farmers and owner of Salad Days out in Florida, Mississippi. But Lee is also a great cook, and she posts some wonderful things. But she threw out a question that caused a lot of comment, a lot of conversation on the Facebook page. And she wanted to know what people thought about mint jelly with lamb chops. So, of course, there were tons of opinions. So first I'd like to get yours. Yes. Um, you know, I did not grow up eating lamb chops, but that's, this was something, uh, that I discovered later in life. And, uh, at first I thought they were a little peculiar for my taste, but I later learned to, to really enjoy them and to come to love them. And I do like, uh, the, the peppermint jelly, uh, on the side, not a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, boisterous, flavor. And so you don't want to, I wouldn't want to like spread it all over my lamb chops, but I love it on the side just uh, as for a a little dip from time to time of the, of the chop in the sauce. Well, a couple of, uh, of our posters, I mean, one in particular said, oh my gosh, it's like putting ketchup on a filet mignon. And then, you know, others. Hey, what's others, wrong with that? Others were very, very passionate, but I, I learned a lot. I mean, uh, there are people out there making mint pesto. And mm. that was one of the things that several people recommended. And this is, you know, in, during the summer when the mint is prolific, that that's a good idea. And uh, Robert St. John jumped in the conversation with the recipe for lamb and a raspberry mint chutney, which mm. sounded delicious. Then somebody told us about a, a mint sauce you can actually buy in the grocery store. It's more of an oil than a jelly. It's called Galway Fresh Garden Mint Sauce. Oh, so and that's available at almost any? I, I don't know. I've never seen know. it, but it sounds great. But just a lot of creativity, and there's just you know serious controversy among mint jelly folks and not mint jelly folks. So thanks, Lee Bailey, for starting the conversation. Yeah, and I say keep it stirred up out there, Lee. Uh, you know, for every opinion, there are several uh opposite opinions and it keeps the conversation going and we're always discovering stuff when people Yeah, and I would love to hear some of our listeners if they have any kind of particular passion about that. I'd love to hear some other ideas. Sure. If you have an idea about mint jelly or 
no mint jelly, just give us a shout. We're right here uh, and interested in taking your call. Do you know, Carol, I was looking at one of our scripts from uh, March the 16th, which is literally five months ago. We had uh, on the show, we were in the studio. It may have been our last in-studio show before COVID uh, came ashore. And and we had Chef Hunter Evans and Cody McLean, McCain from Elvie's Restaurant. Yes. And they had just opened this beautiful new restaurant in, in Bell Haven. These two young men were, had trained and sort of prepared for this their whole life. And they were on the show and they were talking about their menu and their local sourcing and, and how excited they were. Little did any of us know as we were sitting out there in the studio with these two uh, young aspiring uh, restaurateurs that this would be the last studio show we did for months and months and months and that their restaurant, like everyone else's, would be closing down uh, and struggling with reopening. Now, they are reopened, um, and I hope they're doing well, but uh, it is just um, fascinating how life can turn on a dime. And I remember that you and I actually dined there, I believe, the Thursday night before the show, because believe it or not, people out there, I mean, we we really do care and want to, you know, we want to want to tell people you know, what we know. And we went and experienced the restaurant. You had experienced it before. And how special and how interesting the menu is. So I hope those guys pull out of this OK. Absolutely. And we wish them well. And uh, certainly all the restaurant uh, operators uh, across the South and in Mississippi uh, and today thinking especially about those on the coast as if COVID isn't bad enough. Uh, Now they're dealing with these two tropical storm hurricanes, Marco and Laura. So uh, it's a tough time. So we got Homer on the phone from Lyon, Mississippi. Hey, Homer, what's going on? Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well, good. I, I'm I'm a little curious here. This is maybe off the beaten path a little bit, but I grow a lot of banana peppers. Of course, I got Google. You know, you know how what Google does. It it'll lead you sometimes <laughs> in a good place, and sometimes it'll run you down a rabbit hole. Uh, but I want to ask anybody out there uh, that before Google and all that, people used to make banana pepper sauce, and that's what I want to do. What is a good recipe? Now, I've looked online. It's two or three things you got to get that you can't get unless you order it. But before that, people were making pepper sauce, and I just want to ask anybody out there, do they have a good recipe to make banana pepper sauce? All right. Well, that's a a great question and a, a good call. Uh, to our listenership, and Carol, I'm sure, will have some insight. But I would just say that this is so timely because these banana peppers are coming in fast and furiously. I have Oh, my God, probably, they are coming so fast. <laughs> I've got three pounds uh, upstairs in my kitchen, and I'll tell you what I've been doing with them. I, I think you're on to something here with the banana pepper jelly, but I take them and I chop them all up. Uh, and, and washed them off and put them on a sheet pan with garlic and onions and just put them in the oven and roast them. And then I use them for toppings on meat and, and omelets. 
on, as a side dish on rice and pasta. It's just a, a, I mean, when you have an abundance like we do, that's one of the things I'm doing with them. Carol, what do you think about banana pepper jelly? Well, I think he's talking about like pickled banana. Oh, yes. Banana, you put on banana peas pepper. and grains. Yeah. yeah. But um, I've been using banana peppers. I got one of my ideas from you. I saw one of your photographs on cooking and coping, Malcolm, and you sauteed a skillet of banana peppers. I can't remember what you were making, but it was they were so pretty. So I've been adding them to a lot of dishes. And our friend, Sherry Lucas, who is living down in Summit, Mississippi during the uh, the quarantine, you know, brought me a bunch of them a couple of weeks ago. And I actually roasted and stuffed them with a little sausage mixture and then some with a cream cheese mixture. You know, wow. Preserved, and they were just great. But I have never, never pickled them. And I'm hoping that somebody out there will call in and help uh, Homer because it would help us too. That sounds like a really good thing that we could all do right now. Well, I have a jar of pickled banana peppers in my refrigerator. It's a commercial product. Uh, And what I do this time of year is as I use up those uh, peppers and I love to put them on sandwiches, on salads, Uh, Now I'm talking about the pickled banana peppers that come in a a jar that you buy in a grocery store. And as I use them up, I literally chop the new fresh ones that I'm getting and replenish them in the jar. And I recycle that pepper sauce that is commercially produced somewhere, which is mostly vinegar, water, probably a little sugar, some garlic, you know, basic pickling recipe. But anyway, that's a great question, Homer. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for calling in. Carol, you wanted to add something? I did want to add one thing. You just made me think about uh, another way to use banana peppers, those pickled ones. In the winter when it's duck season and people have ducks in their refrigerator, banana peppers are great with duck poppers. You oh, yeah. Take a little bit of duck, put a banana pepper and a little cream cheese, wrap it in bacon, and and bake it. Wow, that's great. Now, but that's it adds that delish. little taste of sweetness and tartness you know, to the duck. All right, we've got Tom on the line. Tom calling from Jackson. What's up? Uh, Malcolm, Carol, uh, Nothing about banana peppers, but years ago, my mother lived in Greenwood, and there was a truck stop just south on 49, uh, Lusk's Truck Stop, and Uh they had really good food, but they had a salad dressing that was uh, the same color as Comeback, same coloring, but it tasted different, and I was wondering if Carol, if you remember that, and I was wondering if anybody by some chance had a recipe for it. I don't remember it. It was probably after my, t- or before my time in, in Greenwood, but it would be great if somebody could call in and tell us about that. And you I think would've... it was Lusk Truck Stop? Lusk, L-U-S-K. Her name was Lorraine Lusk. I think her husband's name was Frank. 
but they had really good food, did a real good business on Sunday. And but right. the salad dressing was, was unique. It was a different flavor. And I, uh, I would love to have the recipe for it. But anyway, just a thought. Now, Tom, I recognize your voice as being someone who has eaten quite a bit of salad dressing at the Reese Court in Boonville, Mississippi. What do you remember about that salad dressing? Well, it, it was it was good, and it was sort of a similar taste, I guess, to a comeback. But it was it was different. It was really good. Though. I remember it well. That's the first what I call comeback dressing I ever saw, where you go in a restaurant and the dressing was already on the table in a plastic squirt bottle. And yeah. there weren't choices. You didn't. You didn't get a choice of no of three or four salads. If you ate a salad, you ate the Reese Court salad dressing, and that was my first comeback experience. Well, and Malcolm, you good. have been a real student of comeback. I, I believe you wrote the article on comeback dressing for the Encyclopedia of Southern Culture. I did, and uh, I have long been a fan. Uh, when I first came to Jackson, I thought it was. Uh, only in this area, and then I remembered growing up in Boonville that it had uh, been served, a version of it had been served uh, there at the Reese Court, but my research tells me that it came from the old five points uh, in Jackson. Apostles. The rotisserie, the rotisserie, rotisserie restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Is that right, Tom? That's right. That's right. And, and it was Alec Dennery who is credited with concocting the first batch and commercially uh, offering comeback as the word comeback dressing uh, in the rotisserie restaurant. In fact, I was on the phone uh, a couple of days ago with Fred Noblock, who grew up in Jackson. Great he was songwriter. Great singer, songwriter, performer. He told me that, he said, I have the original recipe for the comeback dressing uh, at the rotisserie. And I said, so do I. And he said, well, mine is on a, uh, a little uh, order ticket that the waiters use. And he said, my mom got it for me from one of the waiters there. And I said, so is mine. So I took a picture of mine, which is on an old uh, ticket, uh, like a 1940s or 50s style ticket, and sent it to him. And he said, that is the exact same <laughs> recipe that I have. That thing has been circulating around uh, the culinary cycles for years and years and years. Yeah. Well, Malcolm, uh, the the uh, comeback at Howlin' Mouse is fantastic. Well, we have a good one. There's a bunch of great ones out there. The, yeah. the, May, the Mayflower uh, has a fabulous comeback. There's well, this, there's this of the royal family of the of the of Greeks. The comebacks. Right. But yeah. I, I I consider. Uh, consider my two friends Jill Connor Brown and Donna Barksdale and I are the reason that y'all stopped putting the bottles of (laughs) on the table and just give people the little paper cups because we would sit there and eat uh, saltines and come back you know you were probably losing lots of money oh yeah yeah come back habit and maybe there were others like us too a lot of fans of free comeback and saltines. All right, we're going to take a break. Tom, thanks so much for calling. Uh, we appreciate your listening and your supporting Deep South Dining. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'd love to know what's going on in your kitchen. What are you, some of your favorite recipes? 
and what food topics uh, are on your mind. Please stay tuned. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, We want to remind you that at 1030 this morning, Governor Tate Reeves will hold a live press press conference to update the citizenry on the hurricane situation uh, in the Gulf Coast. And that is uh, the two hurricanes, uh, Marcos and Laura, uh, coming ashore. So Governor Reeves will update us uh, on the details 10:30 right here on uh, MPB Think Radio. All right, we got uh, on the phone. We've got Carolyn calling from Macon, Mississippi. Hello, Carolyn. What's going on? Hi. Thank you for your program. Uh, I, I I have tried three different buttermilk biscuits recipes, and <laughs> none of them worked out. Do you guys have a good um, buttermilk? biscuit recipe that is buttery tasty. <laughs> well, let let me just first ask you, do you have access to the internet? Yes. Okay. I was having problems with my buttermilk biscuits too, and I went on YouTube, and if you put in buttermilk biscuits, you're going to find several videos, but the one that I highly recommend is by Natalie Dupree, uh, a great cook, chef, cookbook author. And she is actually on this YouTube teaching a woman, I think from CNN, to to make biscuits. And watching her do it really helped me understand uh, about gathering and pulling in your flour to the buttermilk. But yeah, you know, the best thing is always to start with good buttermilk. But that's my recommendation. Okay, thanks. Well, thank you, Carolyn. We appreciate your listening and appreciate your call. Uh, the doctor is always in here on Deep South Dining. If you are having trouble with your family or with your buttermilk biscuits, <laughs> we are here to help. On the phone now, Chef Tom Ramsey calling us all the way from New Orleans. What's going on, Chef? Welcome, Kara. How are y'all? We're we're doing, you know, it's a actually beautiful sunny day right now. We're we're uh, waiting on the arrival of uh, Marco and Laura, but it's it's beautiful today. I know that that's always just such a weird thing is you go on the news and they're frantically talking about the hurricane coming and Jim Cantore's there, and it's just a beautiful day, and you think, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. We're going to get something, but they said that Marco is uh, slowing and disorganized. And I said, well, aren't we all? <laughs> sounds familiar. It sounds so familiar. So right what, now. what preparation does a commercial kitchen undergo 
uh, in a time like this where you're facing not only one but two potential hurricanes and and you are the executive chef of a chef alaya yes. and if you would tell our listeners uh, where your restaurant is a little bit about the restaurant and then talk a little bit about uh, emergency prep for, for this kind of storm well we're a we're a neighborhood restaurant uh, that was started actually by a Mississippian uh, island Pope from drew Mississippi and um, it was purchased 12 years ago by Tony and Rachel Toko, and uh, they have carried on, you know, the fine dining traditions there, white tablecloth, uh, modern Southern Creole and Cajun dishes. It's a it's a fantastic place. I am I am honored to have been chosen as their new executive chef. But uh, I am actually on my way to the restaurant right now to do what we do when storms are in the Gulf, which is. Uh, the most important thing you got to protect is uh, what's in your coolers, and so we, you know, a restaurant of that size carries, you know, many thousands of dollars worth of seafood and steaks and poultry and vegetables and all that at all times. So when we see a storm coming and we know we're going to close for a day or two, uh, the biggest fright to us is losing power. So what we do is we we have these giant commercial ice machines and we empty them into big Lexan containers and fill the coolers with ice uh, in big Lexan containers, which essentially turns your walking cooler into a, you know, like a, like an igloo cooler. And then we close it up and don't dare reopen it in fear that you know, we'll lose power. Because the, the worst thing you can do is if you lose power is open your refrigerator or your freezer because you just let all that hot air right in. So yeah. if we can fill it up with ice, we can get 36 to, you know, 36 to 72 hours of keeping things cool. After that, it's, you know, we have a, a block party. So I take it that you don't have generators on site. We don't on site. Uh, we had one, uh, but someone needed it more than we did. So they've got it. Now. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just borrowed it. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to bring it right back. Yeah, maybe um, they're going to bring it back. Yeah, sure. Well, Tom, you grew in, up in uh, you grew up in Vicksburg. Uh, you've correct. worked and lived uh, in Jackson for years. What's I the did. difference uh, in uh, cooking uh, in, in Mississippi uh, at home and in, in the restaurants in Jackson versus being down there uh, in New Orleans uh, at a chef well, The stakes are higher. I mean. You can uh, you can hide a multitude of sins the further north of I-10 you go uh, when you're cooking Louisiana food. Um, down here, you know this is this is the majors. This is this is the show. So um, if you're going to cook Louisiana food and call yourself a Louisiana restaurant, and you're going to do it in the Garden District of New Orleans. You, you better have your A game ready. Um, and um, and what I've found is that a lot of dishes would associate with New Orleans, you know, jambalaya and uh, etouffee and all those aren't really restaurant dishes here, um, not in the, the mainline restaurants. You might, you might, you of course find those dishes in tourist restaurants, but uh, most of the people here, if they want etouffee, they go to their mother's house, or if they want jambalaya, they go to their aunt's house. Um, it's, it's a lot of the things you would really think would be ubiquitous are not in the restaurants, they're in people's homes. Mm. But you do serve gumbo, right? Oh, 
of course, of course. And, um, you know, we serve, we serve gumbo every day and I keep it rotating. We'll do a seafood gumbo. We'll do a shrimp gumbo. We'll do a, you know, a lot of that depends on, you know, just, uh, the mood of the chef and, uh, what I've got too much of at the time. Well, we uh, wish you well during the storm, and uh, always appreciate you calling in and giving us a, a report sure. uh, from from the Big Easy. Well, it's lovely talking or, to y'all. Or is I it the Little Easy? About, yeah, I heard y'all talking it's about be the a, Stormy a Easy today. <laughs> it, it's easy sometimes, uh, but I got a brine solution for you for your pickled peppers. I, I heard you ask. Go about for that. it. If you start with um, a cup of really hot water and you put into that six teaspoons of salt and one teaspoon of sugar and then dissolve all of that and then put in a cup of vinegar that gives you your base brine and from that you can put in whatever you want dill coriander garlic uh, fennel but the the basis to start with is a cup of water cup of cider cider vinegar then six to one sugar to salt teaspoons and uh and then just build it up from there that's great okay let me repeat that for people who are you know running to get a pencil and paper one cup of hot water right that's to dissolve your solids and six teaspoons of salt sugar oh six to one it's six to one sugar to salt okay six teaspoons of sugar one teaspoon of salt. That's correct. That's to get a that that sweet brine you want with the with yeah. a, a hot pepper. And if you want and to get a one salt, cup of cider vinegar. That's correct. And then if you want to go the other way and make it more salty than sweet, you just reverse that. Okay. Right. And and we can post this uh, on the website. And Tom, we very much appreciate uh, you sharing that sort of basic brining uh, solution with us that, as you say, you can pickle anything uh, under the sun with that solution. Sure. And y'all, uh, y'all, well, y'all stay safe up there and keep, uh, keep up the great work. I love to listen to you guys. You're my, you're my, my Monday morning uh, entertainment on the way to the kitchen. <laughs> well, we appreciate you listening and appreciate you calling in and sharing What's going on uh, down in New Orleans? We've got Landon on the phone calling from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Landon, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you all today? We are great. We are great. Good. Well, you know, you were talking about old-time deli earlier, and uh, I went to Millsaps back in the early 90s, and my family and I always used to love to go eat there. I was wondering if anybody has the recipe for that batter bread, because that was just out of the world. Well, now that is a great question. If if anyone listening has the recipe for the batter bread from the old time deli that they would be willing to share, uh, Landon from the Mississippi Gulf Coast is calling and interested in that. Uh, and any recipes really from the old time deli, they were known for their Reuben sandwiches. They were known for their cheesecake. The split pea soup was uh, delicious. The potato and, and- salad fantastic just a great gathering place yeah and we uh so miss irv and judy uh and that landmark restaurant in jackson thank you landon for listening and for calling and we'll see if we can find that recipe for you let's see who do we have here uh 
Who's next? Teresa. Hello, Teresa from Gulfport. Hi, how are y'all doing? Super good. Um, y'all were talking about cooking in comfort. I was looking for a recipe for pickled eggs, and I just gave up, and I just got a package. I don't know if I'm able to say the name of the packaged kosher dill mix, but the only thing Come I, on I got with it. Oh, Mrs. Wages, and I got it at Walmart. And the only thing oh, I changed oh. on the uh, recipe is where it calls for regular vinegar. I use uh, apple cider vinegar, and it makes great pickled eggs. So it's it's Mrs. Wages. It's a pickling salt. It's it's a packaged mix. Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. And you know, pickled eggs are. A curiosity. Some people, I love them. Uh, I love the little quail eggs, but but so many people don't like them. They they think they're disgusting or weird or something like that. I don't find them weird at all. Do you, Carol? No. In fact, uh, I've made several batches of pickled egg, eggs because John likes them so much. And yeah, they're they're so great. I, I have the bantam, the bantam chicken, so they're they're kind of in between. They're not the large eggs. They're not the quail eggs. They're kind of in between, and they work really well. What kind of chickens do you have? Bantams. Banny. Ah, Banny roosters, we used to call them. Well, the, the, we don't keep the rooster so much. They, they have a bad attitude, but again. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we do, too. Thank you so much for calling, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you, and we thrive on listeners like you calling and listening. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. I want to thank my co-host, Carol Puckett, and for all of our callers today, I'm Malcolm White, and stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, and don't forget Governor Tate Reeves' live news conference at 1030 right here on Think Radio, giving us an update on hurricane season. That's 1030, Governor Tate Reeves on MPB Think Radio.